Good morning, everybody. My name is Dave McMinn, and I'm the pastor here. It's so wonderful to be here with you and to be worshiping with you guys. Um, we are continuing our sermon series on what it means to truly belong. Last week, we talked about how we have to be authentically ourselves, but it's also important to know that our identity, that identity of who we are, begins with God, that we belong to God. And then we have to belong to ourselves and be honest about who we are and authentic and, and take off the masks that we try to pretend so that we can fit in. And then we talked about how we belong to each other, that we're all intricately connected in our world. And so starting this week and over the next three weeks, I'm going to give you four tools of how we can seek belonging with one another. And these are really important because if we believe that we, are, that we belong together and that true belonging can't happen alone, then we're going to need to learn how to belong to one another, especially in a world that seems to be increasingly divided every single day. So today we're going to talk about how that people are hard to hate close up, and so we're called to move in. And then also, we're called to hold hands with strangers. So people are hard to hate close up, so move in, and we're called to hold hands with strangers. Over the past few years, there's a really interesting phrase that's gotten popular, and that is, don't judge, or don't judge me. Now, this is usually used when, you know, maybe we want that extra piece of chocolate cake, and then people are looking like you, and you know they're judging you, and you're like, oh, don't judge me. Or when you want to skip a workout, or you want to do something that's maybe not that big a deal, but you know you shouldn't do, and you say, don't judge me. But the funny thing is, when we say don't judge me, we're often the first people to judge other people when they do the very same thing. We're very quick to ask for mercy, saying don't judge me, but we're quick to judge other people also. And when we judge, what we're going to talk about uh, this idea of moving close in, one of the reasons we stay further away from people is it's real easy to judge other people from a distance. And you can talk about how bad those people are. You can even hate people from a distance. And, and judging, the kind of judging we're talking about is when we decide to measure someone else's value. Do you hear what I'm saying? When we decide how valuable another person is. That's not evaluating a behavior of someone else and, and deciding whether that's a good behavior for us. It's not evaluating right and wrong, but when we decide that that person's action is who they are. And what I've witnessed in life is for ourselves, we want mercy. And we see, oh, that's not who I am. Those mistakes aren't who I am. Those are just my mistakes, right? But when we see other people do it, we say, oh, that is a bad person because they drive poorly or because they cheat on their taxes or because they made a mistake because that action is who they are. So we want to not do that. We want to move closer to people because people are hard to hate close up. So we're called to move in. And so our scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7. And I've preached on this passage before, but I just, I wanted to bring it out and, and lay it before you because I think that one of the reasons that we don't move in is, is because we're no longer able to judge other people. So this is what it says, starting with verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1. Don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment that you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt out to you. You know, this word, when it says judge, is based on the Greek word krino. And it can mean three things. The first is decide or decision. So I don't think that Jesus is saying in this passage, don't decide, right? Or other people will decide for you. So Jesus isn't telling us to be indecisive. So that's probably not the meaning he's talking about. Another one is as in a law court, like a judgment from the law. 
So, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that Jesus wants us to have an orderly society. So he's probably not saying don't have laws and judgment. But the third one is made clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or chapter, yeah, chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. This is what Paul says. I couldn't care less if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against me, but that doesn't mean... That doesn't make me innocent, because the Lord is the one who judges me. So don't judge anything before the right time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring things that are hidden in the dark to light, and he will make people's motivations public. Then there will be recognition for each person before God. So what Paul is saying is that motivation, the kind of judging that he's talking about, is judging other people's heart. When we look at a person and we say, they did this act because, and we try to give their motivations, and it's also assigning value. So because they made this act, they're a bad person. And this is really part of the human condition. We judge other people to lower their value to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. If you think about it, that's really why you do it. When you want to judge someone online or you want to be mean to someone, it's to make you feel better about yourself and lower their value, and raise your own. And so that's the judgment that Jesus is warning against. This is the kind of thing that happens when we keep people at a distance. Jesus goes on to say, Why do you see the splinter that is in your brother or sister's eyes, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You deceive yourself. First, to take a log out of your eye, and then you clearly see the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. Now, this is meant to be funny. Just think about it. How can you see a splinter in someone else's eye when you have a literal log in your eye? This is, this is meant to be funny. I think Jesus is making a point using hyperbole, right? He's trying to say, you literally can't do this. I mean, just picture your mind people walking around with logs in their eyes and like hitting other people in the head because they're trying to get the splinter out. You cannot see the splinter if you have a log in your eye. Now, notice what it doesn't say is ignore the splinter in your neighbor's eye. It doesn't say ignore their problems, right? We are called to hold each other accountable, but we do it because we love one another. When we, when we ignore the log in our own eye and we, we focus on the little problems other people have, that's hypocrisy. And it allows us to feel better than other people. Oh, I don't have that problem. Now I have this whole, whole other laundry list of problems, but I don't have your problem. And again, we want mercy for ourselves and judgment for other people. So what we're talking about today, this, this, these two tools, is from Brene Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness, and seeking true belonging. And if we're going to seek true belonging, we have to zoom in. We can't keep people at a distance. We can't continue to, to treat other people as if they're not human. And it's so important to do this. Now, it can be difficult for us because all of us have pain that we have from relationships, right? When we've been vulnerable to other people and we've been hurt. And as, if we're going to zoom in, we have to realize that our vulnerability is going to lead to pain. But that's part of the human experience. It's part of who we are. We can't say, well, I don't want to feel any more pain, and so I'm just not going to get to know people. You have to deal with your pain. But deal with it in a certain way that you don't cause pain to others. I think too often that we receive pain, and then we just want to inflict it on everyone else around us as we lash out. And that's what happens often when we hold our pain to ourselves. 
have to deal with our pain. We have to deal with our anger. We have to have those people in our life that we can go to and that we can share what's going on and we can share how we've been hurt and seek forgiveness. So we'll get to more on that in a moment. The second thing is if we are going to zoom in, we need to set healthy boundaries. We talked a little bit about boundaries last week, but boundaries are so important because there are certain people you cannot zoom in with because your own safety is in danger. There are certain people who will take advantage of you. There are certain people who will hurt you. And so when we talk about setting boundaries, we need to be careful to set boundaries where our physical safety is in danger, which is pretty clear, right? There are people who are going to hurt us physically if we're vulnerable to them, right? But we also need to set boundaries so we can be emotionally safe. One of the, one of the ills of our society right now is dehumanization, and dehumanization is when we do that. We lower value, but we do it on a systemic level. Brene Brown has a quote about it in her book, and this is what she says. Dehumanizing others is the process by which we become accepting of violations against human nature, the human spirit, for many of us, violations against the tenets of our faith. Let me read that again. Dehumanization is the process by which we become accepting of violations against human nature, the human spirit, for many of us, the violations against the central tenets of our faith. So to be zoomed in, we have to have these boundaries and be careful and not accept dehumanization individually or in our society. Dehumanization is how, throughout time, society has lowered the value of humans so that we could commit atrocities. If you look at World War II, right, and the, the Nazi party, they called Jewish people rats. That lowered their human value. It is against our human nature to harm other humans. And so, so that we can eventually do that, when we've experienced pain or, or whatever, and we want to lash out against people, we lower the value of other groups of people. In Rwanda, the, the Hutus called the Tutsis cockroaches, right? In America, we called indigenous people savages. We lower their value so we can do inhumane things to them. Slave owners treated slaves as subhumans. So you can see that dehumanization is the first step to committing atrocities. And we see this in our society all the time. When we have quote-unquote enemies, we dehumanize them. Now, this does not mean that you can say when it's the other side and you can call them out and say, you know, those people, they're saying awful things. So if you're a fan of, you know, Trump, and you want to call out when Hillary says that's a bunch of deplorables who vote for them, you also have to call out Eric Trump when he calls all Democrats as something less than human. Do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't just work when you're calling out people who you maybe see as on the other side. We cannot accept dehumanization no matter who they are or what they're doing because dehumanization leads to inhumane things. So we have to have the courage to see humanity in one another and, and the courage to see humanity in people who are different. And that's so key when we talk about people are hard to hate close up, so move in. People who experience belonging in life are people who stay zoomed in to people who they disagree with. Now, when we do this, when we stay zoomed in to people we disagree with, it's going to create conflict, right? Because it's going to mean that you're going to have to have conversations with people who you don't agree with. Setting a, an emotional boundary does not mean to say that I no longer have to talk to people who disagree with me. 
Now we've set boundaries and we know that there are some people that it's just not worth to have these conversations with because they're not going to handle it well, right? And those people we set boundaries with. But if we're going to get past this as a society, if we're going to get past our intense dislike for each other, we have to stay zoomed in. We have to have courage to see each other's humanity, and it's going to cause conflict. In your uh, GPS, uh, Debbie Palmer provided this for me, and uh, it's seven steps to forgiveness. And I think this is so powerful because if we are going to deal with a conflict in our life, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to hurt people, and we're going to be hurt in turn. And so here are seven steps that you can look over on how to forgive one another, addressing everyone involved, avoiding all ifs, buts, and maybes, admitting your own sin specifically, acknowledging sorrow for the way that your sin has offended God and hurt the other person, accepting the fact that there may be consequences because of your sin and being willing to accept what those consequences may be, altering your sinful behavior to godly behavior and thinking, and specifically asking for forgiveness from everyone who has been hurt by your sin. But the other side of that coin is that we also have to be willing to offer forgiveness to people who hurt us. So we're going to have conflict, people are going to hurt us, and we have to offer forgiveness in those situations. Now, I always point this out because I want to make it clear, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Forgiveness is your power to say, what you did to me, I'm no longer going to hold against you. Reconciliation takes both parties, right? Both parties coming together, dealing with the problem, and moving forward. So in conflict, we're going to hurt each other, and we're going to need forgiveness. Another thing is we have to learn, we have to learn to listen. Listen to seek understanding. Just because you listen to someone, this is something I've learned, and it's been a hard lesson as a parent. Just because you listen and you seek understanding does not mean you agree with them. Just because you listen and you seek understanding does not mean you agree. It's okay to disagree, but we need to stay at the table. We need to stay, we need to listen to one another. We need to listen to what other people have to say and try to understand. There's a powerful statement. Tell me more. Tell me more about why you believe the way you believe. Tell me more about your stance. Tell me more about how you came to that conclusion. It's so important that we learn from each other. And maybe, just maybe, if you spend time listening to other people, and if you think you have important things to say, That'll open up the the opportunity for them to listen to you. We're going to have conflict. We're going to fight with each other. And at times, we're not going to come to some sort of specific uh, resolution. And that's okay. And it's not okay just to say agree to disagree because then you're silencing yourself and your witness and your voice. We need to be able to listen, to seek understanding, and hear each other out. So when we do that, when we have the courage to embrace humanity, and we deal with conflict, and we can move in, we can stay zoomed in, then we can begin to hold hands with strangers. So what do we mean by that? We all can think of times throughout history where we know exactly where we were when it happened, whether that was Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, President Kennedy's assassination, where the Challenger blew up, 9-11, Katrina, or a dozen other things that have happened since then. We know exactly where we were and who we were with. And even if they were not people that we had a deep connection with, in that moment, we connected. In our pain and our grief, we connected. And we also do that in joy. Think about when you go to a football game or a basketball game or a concert, and you're with tens of thousands of other people, 
And instantly there is a connection as you're all celebrating together. It's one of the reasons that worship is so powerful. When we gather together, even though that there are people in this room who you do not know, you're connected through your worship of God. We're called to hold hands with strangers because when we experience those communal moments of pain and joy, it helps us see the humanity in one another. It helps us to avoid to think about people as the outsiders or the other or the lost or, the, or people that we don't want to be around. So we're called to hold hand with strangers. This happened to me powerfully in my life where I had a, a pers- several people actually throughout my, my life growing up. But there was a young man when I was in high school and I, I struggled with, with bullying growing up. Thank goodness, today I don't know how teenagers deal with it because not only do you get bullied at school, but you come home on your social media and it doesn't leave you, right? It's just right there. It stays with you wherever you go. But it was hard and and I I really had low self-esteem until one young man took me aside and saw the humanity in me. He could have stayed zoomed out. He had no reason to get to know me better. He had no reason to zoom in. He had no reason to connect with me. But I think about where I would be if this young man hadn't told me, David, I think, I think you're a good person, and I want to be around you. And he started inviting me to hang out and go to the movies. And, and I, was, I was a nerd. Y'all probably know that. It's pretty, pretty obvious. I'm in all the nerdy things. I wasn't a good athlete. I wasn't even cool enough to be in band, you know? I know. And, uh, and I, I just didn't have those close connections. And here was this guy who was an athlete who was just a really good human being, was popular and cared about me as a person. He zoomed in. He did not allow me to stay at a distance, and it changed my life. That's who we are as called as a church. There are so many people in this world who need to have a place to belong, and you have the power. You have the power to zoom into their life, to get to know them, and to invite them to know the most wonderful thing, that there is a God who created them. There is a God who loves them and a God who desires to have a relationship with them. And there's this crazy church that we have that will let anybody in and love them just the way they are. So we are called, we are called to zoom in because people are hard to hate close up. And we're called in difficult moments and in good moments to hold hands with strangers. And when we provide this kind of belonging for ourselves and for others, It might just change the way our world works. And maybe, just maybe, some of this conflict that we're seeing, some of this disagreement, some of this hate that we have towards other people will start to dissipate. So I hope this week as you go about your day that you will zoom into somebody. That you will zoom into somebody and love them the way that you have been loved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.